1: Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
2: True Nor True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and tsleil nations. Secrets press inside a person. They press the way water presses at a dam. The secrets and the water, they both yearn to be free. In one northern Alberta town, a secret is being kept. A young mother of two has been missing since July of 2019. Her children don't know where their mother is. Behind closed doors, people whisper the rumors that have passed from one household to another but those who know the truth aren't talking. Is it fear that keeps them silent? Are they being threatened? Are they afraid of being held accountable? Or do they just want to look the other way while a family grieves? Is this the kind of society that we want to live in? This is the disappearance of Shaylin McAllister, and this is True North, True Crime.
1: Everyone and welcome to episode twenty-three of True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us.
2: We want to start off tonight's episode by thanking some folks for buying us some coffee this week. Thank you to Karen Gebhard, Britt, and Carolyn Moore. If you want to buy some coffee, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com/tnccpod. It can be a one-time thing, or if you want to become an honorary producer of the podcast by choosing the five-dollar a month member option, you can do so. Carolyn Moore actually chose the $5 a month option and is now an honorary producer, so welcome aboard, Carolyn. We've got some pretty amazing people who are listening to this podcast from all around the world, Uh, and we just want to take a moment to say thank you all for choosing to join us every week.
1: A big reason we wanted to start this podcast was to help out with cases that maybe haven't received the attention that they need and deserve. We find this happens a lot with missing persons cases. Quite often when a loved one goes missing, we just assume that a search party is formed, like some big machine is activated and the whole world stops to help.
2: We are finding more and more that this is not the case. In fact, the majority of the help that is offered to families is by well-intentioned volunteers. These people aid in searches, help set up Facebook pages, social media campaigns, and guide families on what to do and what to expect. The longer we do this podcast, the more we realize that the families of missing people are often left on their own, using their own resources, their own finances, and energy. This is no easy task.
1: We know that we cannot be on the ground for all of these cases, but we do believe that we can help by getting the word out. Which brings us to tonight's episode.
2: This is one that we have been looking at since last summer, but sadly a lot of the details were cloudy, so we wanted to wait until we could get some clarity. We are talking about the disappearance of Shaylin McAllister.
1: At the time of her disappearance, Shaylin is described as a 20-year-old First Nations woman with a light complexion. She has brown eyes and brown hair that had recently been cut short. She is quite tall, about 5 foot 10 inches or 6 feet tall, and 140 pounds. She was last known to be in Fairview, Alberta. There is currently no description of what she was wearing at the time she went missing.
2: We need to be clear that many of the details in this case are either misreported, missing, or very confusing. We will walk you through it as best we can. We will try to get it as accurate as possible, but we may not get it all correct. We are going to try. Our hearts go out to Shaylin's family, and we want to thank them for helping us
1: to tell this story. In order to put this episode together, we did talk to a few of Shaylin's family members, friends, and members of her community. We combed through social media posts and found a couple of news articles.
2: We also watched Jason Hebert's YouTube video where he interviewed a few family members, including Shaylin's mother and her mother-in-law. If you're not familiar with Jason Hebert, he does great work trying to help families of missing people. We also want to acknowledge that there are some very courageous people in the Fairview area who have been doing their own investigations and searches. This cannot be easy, and we just want to thank them for what they're doing. We hope the truth comes out soon.
1: So this case takes place in Fairview, Alberta. Fairview is located in the Peace Country, or Peace River Country, in northern Alberta.
2: Fairview is on Treaty 8 territory, which is the ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, and Métis nations. In order to understand Fairview, it's important to understand Peace River Country.
1: The Peace, as it is sometimes called, includes about 390,000 square kilometers of wilderness from northeastern British Columbia to northwestern Alberta. This is a massive area that encompasses the Peace River. It includes farmland, deep forests, lakes, and parts of the Rocky Mountains. Fairview is located in the Alberta portion of the Peace It is a town of about 3,600 people. Most of the population is actually under 14 years old. Those aged 45 to 64 make up the second highest population sector, followed by 15 to 24 year olds.
2: The top industry in Fairview is agriculture, followed by retail and construction. Of course, since it's northern Alberta, there are lots of people who work periodically in the oil patch. Like most small-town areas, folks in Fairview utilize surrounding cities and towns for different services, like Hines Creek, Whitlaw, Blue Sky, Rycroft, with Grand Prairie being the nearest big city. Fairview is policed by a local RCMP detachment, with larger files being sent to K Division, which operates out of Edmonton.
1: Crime stats are hard to come by for Fairview, but a brief look at some recent news stories shows that there have been some recent convictions for drug trafficking, armed robberies, and home invasions. We will talk a little bit more about that later in the episode.
2: So this brings us to Shaylin McAllister. Shaylin was born in August of 1998. Shaylin's ancestry is Beaver First Nation. The Beaver First Nation are a part of Treaty 8. The nation has over a thousand members with two reserves, one near Boyer River and one near Child Lakes.
1: When Shaylin was a toddler, she was living with her great-aunt and her second cousin, as a kid, her family described her as happy, vibrant, friendly, kind, and helpful. She was a sweet, caring girl. She was beautiful and also a little gullible. According to her online searches, Shaylan attended Hines Creek Composite, which is a K-12 school in the village of Hines Creek.
2: As a teen, she played basketball for the Hines Creek Tigers. She was awarded by the team twice in 2013. Once in the category of success and once in the category of excellence. In team photos, you can see her standing taller than the other players and smiling brightly. One of her friends fondly recalled a team sleepover in the school gymnasium and playing basketball in their pajamas. That same friend remembers driving the back roads around Hines Creek while blasting music and singing their hearts out.
1: Shaylin loved to draw. She also enjoyed socializing, visiting with family, and being with friends. Shaylin's family is sadly no stranger to the tragedy of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. In fact, in our Barbara Stoppel series, we spoke about one of Terry Arnold's possible victims. She was a 19-year-old woman who went missing in 1988 near Chilliwack, British Columbia. You might recall her name as Roberta Ferguson. Well, it turns out that Roberta is Shaylin's great-aunt. Roberta has never been found.
2: Shaylin's life started to get a lot more complicated in high school. She began a relationship with a young man who, for the sake of this podcast, we will call him Abel. Shaylin and Abel would go on to have two children. They have a son and a daughter. Due to the fact that she had become a young mom, Shaylin would not finish high school. Instead, she entered the workforce.
1: There are many photos online of Shaylin taking her kids on trips to the river, hanging out in backyards in the summer, playing with toys in the house, and just generally loving on them. Sadly for the young couple, drugs would become part of their story, and they would soon separate.
2: Things began to become more and more challenging for Shaylin, and eventually Abel's mother would step in to take care of the children full-time. This happened in November of 2018. The hope here was that the kids would have a steady place to call home while Shaylin got some time to get herself together.
1: From what we have been told, Abel went out east to stabilize his own condition. Shailene remained in her kid's life. She tried when she could to visit the children. She didn't have a vehicle and lived about 30 minutes away from her kids, so visits were made when she was able to find a ride. In 2019, Shailene got a job at an A&W fast food restaurant in downtown Fairview.
2: We haven't been able to clarify where she was living at this time. Uh, we do know that she had lived for a spell at the Grand Hotel in downtown Fairview. She also had a room in another place and was paying uh, a roommate, I believe, some rent. So we're now going to talk about some risk factors. As you know, we often talk about addiction, mental health, poverty, and other socioeconomic factors that may be at play when a person goes missing.
1: We asked her family about those factors, and this is what they told us. She wasn't in a very good mental state. She was seen by a doctor in January 2019, where she had some sort of panic attacks, cut off her hair, thinking she had bugs, this was probably due to a substance abuse issue, and was scared of some sort of sores. She was very worried that the kids would get sick. She did seem to get better, but never quite was able to quit the drug use. They would go on to say, But in Fairview and province-wide, I'm sure drug use has increased with the young adults, meth, heroin, and cocaine. It's really sad.
2: So we inquired a little bit further about the drug situation, not to judge, but just to understand, as different drugs have different effects on people. It's my understanding from when I used to work in the uh, in shelters in Vancouver that opiate users are very different from meth users. There are different behaviors and very different risk factors. We were told, quote, oh, she used meth for sure, but I had heard she never wanted to use heroin. She was scared of it. So this is actually kind of important later in the episode.
1: So we have a young mom, 20 years old, with two children. She has a loving and large extended family, but she has some complications in her life around finances and drug use. Part of her is hardworking and getting her life together. The other part of her is struggling to make it all work.
2: So what do we know about the night Shaylin went missing? Again, this gets confusing. We have seen her missing date reported as three different dates, but we believe that we have the right one.
1: On Thursday, July 4th, 2019, Shaylin worked her shift at the A&W in downtown Fairview. She had been working at this job for about three months. She left her shift at around 10.30 or 11 p.m. She then walked to the Shell convenience store and made a purchase. The Shell is a combined gas station convenience store, as well as liquor store. It's a six-minute walk and straight shot from the a Incidentally, the shell is located across the street from the RCMP station.
2: And that's it. Those are the tangible details of the night that Shaylin disappeared. But more information has come to light since Shaylin disappeared. So let's talk about that after a quick break.
0: It's that time of the year. to find out if it's right for you.
1: And we are back. So before the break, we outlined what Shaylin's life was like and the limited details we know about the night that she went missing.
2: In the days following her disappearance, her family and friends became concerned when they hadn't heard from her. One friend sent the following messages to Shaylin on Facebook Messenger. On July 6th, they wrote, Where are you at, sis? I haven't seen ya.
1: On July 7th, they wrote, Thanks for letting me stay at your place. Didn't really get to see you. Hopefully you're doing fine. I love you.
2: Then, on July 10th, they wrote, Shaylin, if you're all right, send me a message back. We're worried about you.
1: And then on July 14th, they wrote, I love you, Shaylin. I hope you're alright none of these messages were responded to or read.
2: On July 12th, Shailin's mother-in-law posted on Facebook asking if anyone had seen Shailin. Shailin was then reported to the RCMP as a missing person.
1: So in the days, weeks, and months after Shailin was reported missing, a small army of family and friends formed to get some answers. One of them came across a box that Shailin had in storage. Inside this box was a bunch of papers, And on one of those papers were passwords and logins to social media, as well as her banking information.
2: The group were able to check Shaylin's Facebook, Snapchat, and bank account. What they found out is that Shaylin has not been active with her social media since after July 4th, 2019. She did post a photo of herself in the days before she went missing. She was with two men in a parking lot. One of those men was her brother, The other man lived in a neighboring town. It's unclear to us what day that was.
1: She had also logged into her Facebook at 11 p.m. the night she went missing. We believe this could have been at the Shell station based on the timing. They also learned that she had not used her bank account or credit cards since July 4th, 2019. The last purchase she made was at the Shell station at around 11 p.m.
2: Her bank account still has money in it, and like we said, it has not been touched. In the weeks after she disappeared, she did not return to the a and to pick up her check. Police have questioned the A&W employees and checked cameras, but they have not released any findings.
1: RCMP have also questioned many other people. None of that information is publicly available. Shailen's phone has never been found, and the number was eventually disconnected due to non-payment. The phone number now has a different owner. Shaylin's DNA has been submitted by RCMP to be added to the national database.
2: In the aftermath of the disappearance, the rumor mill began to churn in Fairview and the surrounding areas. We will now walk you through the rumor that is going around. We normally try to stay away from rumors, but in this case, the information we are receiving is from friends and family. This rumor was also spoken about by family members during the interview with Jason Hebert on his YouTube
1: channel. It is identical to the one that was presented to us. We want to warn you that the following is graphic. As we stated, Shaylin has a small army of friends and family investigating her disappearance. Those friends were told about a person that had heard a story about Shaylin. They were able to get this story recorded to video. We have not seen the video.
2: The story is that Shaylin got off work at a She then went to the convenience store around 11 o'clock. After that, she went to a party in what one family member referred to as Crackville, which is apparently one of the mobile home parks in Fairview that has a
1: lot of drug use happening. While at the party, it is rumored that Shaylin died from an overdose. There is a secondary rumor that says she was beaten to death. As the rumor goes, it is said that her body was then dumped in a nearby forested area. So
2: as the rumor goes, uh, apparently people began to talk about a body in the forest, and the perpetrators became scared. Then, according to the rumor, her body was moved to a pig farm where her remains were disposed of.
1: According to family, the same names continue to come up in Shailen's disappearance. These same names have come up in reference to other crimes and to other disappearances in the area.
2: We want to be very clear here that the person who was uh, recorded was simply retelling a rumor that they had heard. They were not telling a story of something that they took part in. The source of the original rumor has since recanted meaning that we may never know what the truth is.
1: Searchers were told that the pig farm was in the Blue Sky and Whitlaw area. There are actually two larger pig farms in the area. One is abandoned. Community searchers did search this one, but did not find anything. The other is currently operated, but for legal and safety reasons, it has not been searched by community searchers.
2: Community searchers have also put up posters and initiated searches in many nearby towns and rural areas. So far, they have not found anything. All of the information about the alleged party has been passed on to the RCMP K-Division. It has
1: been assumed that the RCMP have followed up on some of these leads. Sadly, it seems that as the family has began to get closer to the truth, they began to receive some harassment from anonymous sources. Shaylin's mother-in-law, who was raising Shaylin's kids, began to be called repeatedly from two Edmonton-based phone numbers.
2: One time, the caller told her that Shaylin was still alive. The caller also stated that she spoke to Shaylin every day, that she was doing fine, and that the family should just basically let it go. During one of these calls, the mother-in-law told the caller to send her a photo of Shaylin. If they were with Shaylin... This should not be a problem. The caller stopped calling after that.
1: No photo was ever sent. Then from another number, the caller said that they were calling from the RCMP. The caller stated that the RCMP had closed the file on the Shailen McAllister case and that the family needed to move on. The family then called the RCMP who clarified that this was not true. It was not the RCMP that called. The file is still open. Our CMP detective stated implicitly that the family would only receive information regarding the case from the lead investigator. I mean, what kind of person do you have to be to do that, to actually call a grieving family and tell
2: them to stop searching for their loved one? Unfortunately, we actually have experienced something similar while doing this podcast. In the summer of 2020, we were looking into the tragic death of a 16-year-old girl. During the course of our research, we spoke with her family and friends who had been working so hard to find justice. Then, we started getting threats from people who were with the young girl that night. The threats became increasing over a period of time until we had to involve the RCMP.
1: Yeah, there's just some messed up people out there. So we want to take some time to walk through some theories and where the case sits today. But let's do that after a quick break.
2: And we are back. So before the break, we talked about the rumors that had been circulating about Shaylin's disappearance. We need to set those aside now. These rumors have not been tested in court. They haven't played out in any public way in the RCMP investigation. They are troubling, but for right now, we need to set them aside.
1: The most important thing here is that Shaylin is a missing person. We need to find her. Her kids, family, and friends need to find her. So now we are going to walk through some theories.
2: So in the first theory we ask, would Lin have taken her own life? We don't believe that this is the case. We asked her family the same question, and they also said no. The main issue here is that there has been no body discovered. Um, She didn't have a car or the means to really leave town, which means that her body would have been found locally. She also had two kids that she loved and a supportive family. We know that she was struggling with some life issues, but we just don't see this as a self-harm situation. So let's move on.
1: In the next theory, we ask, did Shaylin run away? This is plausible. It could be easy to hitch to another town, maybe a larger city to escape. But when we really look at this idea, there are some glaring holes in the theory. Shaylin was not rich. She needs money to disappear. She had not used the money in her bank account, nor did she pick up her last check. The family also does not believe that she would leave her kids this long. She also would stay in contact with her mother-in-law and her cousin. She has not called them, nor has she called her own mother.
2: While Shaylin has been missing, her great-aunt, sadly, died. She was the woman who Shaylin spent her childhood with. Also, her grandfather, who she loved, passed away. These were important people in her life whom she would want to be there for their funerals. Her son started kindergarten... In September of 2020
1: and from talking to her friends and family we know that she wouldn't have wanted to miss that in an interview about missing and murdered indigenous women activist Robin Lawson spoke about Shaylin and two other missing women in the peace country of the women she stated one went missing in 2016 and the other was 2018 from Grand Prairie both were especially vulnerable with addiction issues The one from 2016 was found about two months after by friends in pretty rough shape, but she has recovered since. The other came home on her own six months after, being reported missing. Neither want to discuss the details of their ordeals publicly, but I'd like to stress that these women represent many of our community members who have already been traumatized into addictions, which puts them at further risk for abuse, and in particular, human trafficking. So with that in
2: mind, it is very possible that Lin left on her own accord. It is also possible that she may come home one day. But she still needs to be found as she is in a high-risk category. Her family pray every day that she will just walk through the door.
1: The next theory is whether or not there was some kind of accident that was followed by a cover-up, which is foul play, but maybe not intentional.
2: So in this theory, it's believed that Shaylin overdosed. My real only issue with this theory is that Shaylin was not an opiate user. From what I understand, she used meth, but not opiates. While it is possible to overdose on meth, it is exceedingly rare compared to opiate users. Meth is a totally different thing. You are likely to suffer from psychosis with meth, um, more likely to suffer from that than you are from pulmonary failure, which is the common overdose um, for opiate users however there is something called speedballing back in the old days it was when people used heroin and cocaine at the same time however um, these days powdered cocaine and powdered heroin are more of a luxury item for rich folks instead the streets and small towns are flooded with fentanyl and meth so instead of the old coke and smack combo people are now doing a potentially lethal mixture of meth and fentanyl This is why you see so much erratic behavior on the streets if you live in larger towns.
1: Another troubling trend is that people are purposely overdosing on opiates and using naloxone to bring them back. People doing this are getting a rush off of near-death experiences. The rumor around Fairview is that this is happening in their town and that Shaylin was perhaps a victim of that.
2: This is, of course, just a rumor. So in this theory, we have Shaylin overdosing, Um, accidentally, and then people covering it up by removing her body from the party. But we also just want to say for our listeners out there that we have heard the overdose cover-up theory in other cases we have covered. We don't know how common this is, but if I can say one thing to everyone, it's that someone overdosing or dying in your home, while tragic, is not really a
1: prosecutable criminal offense. However, hiding a body is. So please, if someone overdoses in your company, just call an ambulance or keep naloxone on your person. So the last theory we need to go over is, did Shaylin meet with foul play? Obviously, based on the rumors that we have heard, it is not hard to believe that this theory is plausible. In this theory, we have Shaylin getting off work. She then headed to a party and then met with foul play and foul play can include human trafficking or homicide.
2: Human trafficking can include sex work, but it is also common for people to be kept in debt to their abductors. They are taken from their family connections, uh, they have their ID and valuables taken, they are forced into a myriad of different types of work, and often they are kept in a cycle of addiction and debt.
1: While the rumors for foul play are prevalent, at this time there is not a lot of physical evidence to prove it. There is, however, a lot of circumstantial evidence to point to it. Keep in mind, Shaylin has not contacted her family or used her bank accounts. There have also been no sightings in Fairview. There was one Facebook user who posted that they had seen her in Red Deer, but nothing has ever come of that sighting.
2: The bottom line is that we need people's help. We need more courageous people to come forward with what they know about Shaylin McAllister. So yes, we do believe that this theory is plausible. But we believe that someone out there knows something, a group of people maybe, and they need to come forward.
1: We are now going to move on from these theories to discuss some other significant factors that are at play in Shailen's disappearance.
2: We want to take a moment to talk about drug use in rural areas of Canada. We know that when people think of drug use, they picture big cities.
1: But in the last decade, there has been a tragic shift. The toxic opiate drug supply coupled with the cheapness of methamphetamine has had a damaging effect on what used to be quiet, rural, farming, fishery, or forestry towns. According to the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, Canadians living in rural areas were more likely to report heavy drinking, 22.4% compared to those living in urban areas, 18.4%.
2: According to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, opioid poisoning hospitalization rates in smaller communities were more than double those in Canada's largest cities in 2017.
1: According to the Institute for Mental Health Policy Research, students in rural area were significantly more likely than students who attended urban or suburban schools to drink alcohol, binge drink, and drink to get drunk.
2: A report released by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime cited socioeconomic factors like long travel distances and geographical isolation as several reasons that contribute to rural addiction.
1: The UN report specifies that some of the other socioeconomic factors include low income, unemployment, higher prevalence of manual labor occupations that increase risk of injury and lack of health services.
2: Yeah, if you live in a rural community and you struggle with addiction, the chances of you having the necessary resources to treat your condition may be few and far between. Um, Sadly, you have to look for treatment options in other cities, and those cities can be quite far away, especially if you need specialized care like addiction treatment.
1: An article released by McLean states that Canada's growing opioid crisis is hitting rural regions hard. Harder, arguably, than cities that have emergency services and healthcare supports for the addicted. Additionally, the RCMP also share this concern, saying that the unique populations and expansive geographies of rural areas make it difficult for RCMP officers to respond to calls based on the sheer distance they have to travel.
2: So we want to take a moment to read the final press statement from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry from June 3rd, 2019, because we really think it plays into um, Shaylin McAllister's disappearance. So the national inquiry into the murdered and missing Indigenous Women and Girls and Two-spirited people reveals that persistent and deliberate human and indigenous rights violations and abuses are the root cause behind Canada's staggering rates of violence against indigenous women, girls, and two-spirited people.
1: The National Inquiry's final report is comprised of the truths of more than 2,380 family members, survivors of violence, experts, and knowledge keepers shared over two years of cross-country public hearings and evidence gathering.
2: The report goes on to say, Despite their different circumstances and backgrounds, all of the missing and murdered are connected by economic and social and political marginalization, racism and misogyny that is woven into the fabric of canadian society the hard truth is that we live in a country whose laws and institutions perpetuate violations of fundamental rights amounting to a genocide against indigenous women girls and two-spirited people
1: to put an end to this tragedy the rightful power in place of women girls and two-spirited people must be reinstated which requires dismantling the structures of colonialism within Canadian society, said Commissioner Michelle Audette. This is not just a job for governments and politicians. It is incumbent on all Canadians to hold our leaders to account. Shailen's mother posted online on August 18, 2019, My daughter is my life, and those cute grandbabies too. I hurt for my girl, but mostly I hurt for my grandchildren without their mommy.
2: Shaylin's mother-in-law hopes that one day, Shaylin will walk through the door, but until that day, she has accepted that the children will be with her for the foreseeable future. Meanwhile, Shaylin's army of friends and family are fighting in their town for justice and for answers.
1: Her two children are doing the best they can to live their young lives. A neighbor of Shaylin shared with us that she saw the children playing outside her house recently. They both peddled their tricycles up to me with big smiles, happy to see me. Melts my heart, them, too. I hope life treats them better.
2: At the start of this episode, we spoke of secrets. Someone, or some people, are holding a secret. And
1: it's hopefully only a matter of time before the dam breaks and the truth comes out. We hope this episode will help bring some awareness. We know that the RCMP, members of the Fairview community, and concerned citizens will hear this podcast. We asked the family how our listeners can help. They told us that people should ask around, come forward if they have any information. Someone knows something and should report to the RCMP. Her children need to know what happened to their mom.
2: You can also join the Bring Shaylin McAllister Home Facebook group to find ways that you can help. We will post that to our Facebook page.
1: At the time of her disappearance, Shaylin is described as a 20-year-old First Nations woman with a light complexion. She has brown eyes and brown hair that had recently been cut short. She is quite tall, about 5 foot 10 inches tall or 6 feet tall and about 140 pounds. She also has a red and green rose tattoo on the back of her right leg. She also has two script type uh, tattoos on either forearm. These are dates. And she was last known to be in Fairview, Alberta. Anyone with information is asked to call 911 or report anonymously at 1-800-222-8477. We
2: want to take a moment to thank Shaylin's family and friends for trusting us with her story.
1: As always, you can subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. Our producers on the podcast are Amy's Book Reviews, Alberta Bly, Cindy McDee, Giraffe 3000, Alyssa Santos, Anastasia, Ariel Elliott, Melanie E., Kelly Donahue, and Carolyn Moore.
2: Thank you for joining us for this episode of True North True Crime. We will be back next week with a new episode of TNTC Shorts.
1: So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, gang.
0: Planning for your next trip?